0: Hey, y'all just some housekeeping before we begin this next episode. So last week's episode on fast fashion, I um, recorded it kind of late. I was a little tired and um, I also edited it late and I listened to it before I let it out. I thought it sounded fine, but I was also tired. I went back and listened to it this past week and I am, um, I'm upset with myself. I am can say that is not the type of product um, I would normally let go out, and so I have re-recorded that episode, so I encourage you if you were disappointed in how it sounded and you were confused by what was going on and you had stopped listening to it for that reason, please go back and give it another listen as I have re-recorded it and re-uploaded it um, just because I was not satisfied with what I had done with it. On this episode of Just an Avocado White Woman, we're going to be continuing our conversation about poverty that we started in episode three. If you didn't listen to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one first. We're focusing our conversation of poverty around the book, Broken America, Seeing, Understanding, and Ending U.S. Poverty by Joanne Samuel Goldblum and Colleen Shaddix, but I'm also including my own opinions and other research I've done, so if you'd like to follow along with the book, please buy it. There's a link included in the show notes. This episode will be about water. From basic biology class, we know that our body is made up of 60% water. While typically someone can go for about three weeks without food and survive, people can only survive three to five days without water. Once dehydration sets in, it can lead to a range of serious health issues, including electrolyte imbalances, organ failure, and eventually death. Most people should be consuming 64 ounces of water a day, but are under-consuming even if they have adequate access to it. Each year, 1.7 million people die because they don't have access to safe drinking water, according to the WHO, or World Health Organization. Approximately 10% of households in America cannot afford their water bill, according to a 2017 study, leading to shutoffs, even in the dead of winter. While there are federal programs to help people in poverty with food, housing, medical, and heat, There are none in place for water, and 70% of water utility companies do not offer assistance to low-income customers. Some water utility companies that do offer assistance only do so after the bill is delinquent, even if the customer has approached them beforehand, letting them know they'll have issues paying. One such city was Philadelphia, though it looks like they may have a new system in place called TAP tiered assistance program that helps to aim before delinquency and will freeze the bill as long as something is being paid. Utility companies try to meet their capital costs by raising their rates, leading to an affordability gap, non-payment, shutoff, and then a smaller base of rate payers to finance improvements to the system. It's a vicious cycle that perpetuates itself and will continue until there is literally no one left to pay. In just a two-month period alone in 2014 in Detroit, the Detroit Water and Sewage Department shut off water to 7,500 households. This brought the attention of the United Nations that considers water to be a human right and that it should not be shut off if they cannot pay. This is an interesting thought considering that Gaza is right now without water and the UN is doing nothing about it. But I digress. In rural areas and a disproportionate number of Native American communities, there has never been plumbing. Approximately 30 to 35% of households on Navajo reservations have no plumbing at all. That's 3 million homes in 2017. People rely on water drop companies if they can afford it and the companies are willing to go out that far some communities have also developed tank-based systems that combine rainwater collection storage and gravity to produce running water in a wash basin a toilet directs liquid waste into an underground collection area outside the home while they collect solid waste in bags dry it and bring it to the landfill If you live in the United States, you've heard of Flint, Michigan, and the absolute shit show that went down there. The levels of lead found there were off the charts. It was considered toxic waste, caused legionnaires' disease in almost a dozen people leading to their death, and yet the city was still charging people $200 a month for this water that they couldn't even use. Nine years later, they're still dealing with the crisis, yet bottled water distribution has ended at help centers. In fact, over 9% of the U.S. is serviced by lead pipes, mostly east of the Mississippi River, with the exception of Texas. A study in 2016 found that 5,300 water systems serving more than 18 million people in the U.S., that's 9. million lead pipes, were in violation of the EPA's lead and copper rules. If you listened to my last episode on fast fashion, you know that lead exposure can have many harmful effects. If you didn't, let me reiterate them now. Lead exposure carries a range of detrimental effects, including neurotoxicity, especially harmful to developing brains, resulting in cognitive deficits, lowered IQ, and behavioral problems. Lead interferes with hemoglobin production, causing anemia, particularly in children. Long-term exposure leads to kidney damage and dysfunction, and elevated lead levels are associated with increased blood pressure and a higher risk of cardiovascular diseases. Reproductive issues, including fertility issues and adverse pregnancy outcomes are also linked to lead exposure. Furthermore, lead accumulates in bones and teeth affecting density and development, while behavioral disorders, attention deficits, and learning disabilities in children are associated with lead exposure. The environmental impact of lead includes soil and water contamination, posing risks to ecosystems and wildlife. Additionally, elevated copper levels in drinking water can induce gastrointestinal distress, manifesting as symptoms like nausea, vomiting and abdominal pain typically associated with short-term exposure to high copper concentrations excessive copper intake may lead to diarrhea due to its laxative effect on the digestive system and prolonged exposure to elevated copper levels in water may contribute to liver and kidney damage overwhelming the liver's detoxification process in sensitive individuals extended exposure can result in hemolytic anemia where red blood cells are destroyed at an accelerated rate. Those with Wilson's disease, a genetic disorder impacting copper regulation, may experience exasperated symptoms, including liver and neurological problems when exposed to additional copper. Neurological effects such as headaches, dizziness, and in extreme cases, seizures have also been associated with high copper exposure. Additionally, Kids who are in poverty and therefore have poor diet typically also have an iron immune deficiency. This deficiency increases the risk of lead poisoning by making the digestive tract more susceptible to absorb heavy metals. Some towns have made some inroads for improvements, getting ahead of the lead like Lansing, Michigan. They began replacing all of the piping in 2007, making it a 10 year project that cost 42 million. Because they got ahead of the problem and did it before the EPA required it, they became efficient at it and translated that into cost savings, since it becomes approximately three to four more times expensive to replace pipes once they fail. This is not the case for Flint, Michigan, where they signed a contract in 2013 for 5.6 million, yet they kept extending the contract without city approval or public notice. And by 2016, the cost was up to 12.7 million. One of the issues is that when people think of fixing infrastructure, they want things fixed they can see. Bridges, schools, roads, sidewalks, you get the idea. Even with that, Right now, the U.S. has a D-plus on its infrastructure rating, and it's estimated that to bring it up to a B, we'll need an investment of $4.6 trillion. I want to point out that the U.S. has this money. Just recently, the Pentagon reported that it couldn't account for 63% of $4 trillion in assets because the DoD just can't find what it owns, so it just buys more. How ridiculous is it that they can't even account for our taxpayer money, yet we're required to file taxes down to the penny or be fined or jailed? But I digress. Just last month, there was a story of companies that paid over 100 million to avoid accountability for their contamination of drinking water. They included eight companies that produce cookware, cosmetics, outdoor clothing, and food packaging. 3M, Archroma, Chemours, Dakin, Dow, DuPont, Honeywell, and Savoy, as well as all the major oil and gas companies, BP, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, and Shell. These contaminants are PFAs, and a government study has shown that 45% of drinking water in the US is contaminated with these PFAs. The most prominent of the PFAs, PFOA and PFOS, are likely carcinogenic, and research has shown PFA exposure leads to serious health risks, including cancer, fertility issues, low birth weight, and a decreased immune function. Yet the bill, PFAS Action Act, trying to regulate this and protect the American public never passed, mostly due to money, 67,000 from PFA manufacturers passing to the ranking Republican on the committee before the vote was made. The failure of the government to maintain safe drinking water and to have federal programs in place for this basic need is not only ridiculous, it is equal to being complicit to a genocide, which we know from current government actions, they have no issue being a part of. It should be noted that a large portion of those in poverty and therefore those that have their water shut off overall, are part of a minority group. Here's where we start encountering some intersectionality between the impact of racism on housing, infrastructure, and poverty. Systemic racism and how it has impacted communities over the last 70 years can't be overstated, but that is a whole episode and maybe more than one in itself. For example, In 2016, Baltimore said they would need to spend $2 billion to improve their water infrastructure. They then hiked bills 33% over the next three years. This was following a 127% increase that had occurred the previous 10 years. Due to this, a black man in Baltimore had his home placed under a lien due to an unpaid water bill, something that can be done for as low as $750 though they state they'll shut you off at 250. His bill was $6,000. He believed he had a leak or it was a meter malfunction as there was just a new meter the city had installed. But when he tried to find someone to make a complaint to, no one would hear him. Having a foreclosure on his credit would lead to him having issues in the future renting an apartment, which is also a vicious cycle. When residents have their water shut off, they're left with one option, bottled water. Yet bottled water is one of the most expensive and one of the most environmentally damaging items in the world, but they have no choice. So you don't blame the people who have no choice. You blame the people who created the problem. In my last episode, we talked about the documentary River Blue and the pollution created by the fashion industry. 70% of rivers and lakes in the Li region of China were polluted with persistent carcinogenic dyes. Dyes that will never break down and have the ability to travel around the world to us here, even though they were released half a world away. We spoke about other countries that were also inundated with similar issues of pollution from the fashion industry, both at the start and at the end of the process. Though in another country, these people are also in poverty and their access to water is also dampened, likely more than us due to the presence of these dyes and no regulation of the industries within the country. The water they rely on to bathe and to eat out of is permanently poisoned by these problems, but they continue to use it because there is no alternative. Here in America, we have the bottled water industry, headed up by companies like Nestle and Asani. Nestle, one of the biggest contributors to the bottled water industry, paid a one-time $5,000 application fee to begin operation and an annual $200 permit fee for the groundwater while it operates in Michigan. For this, it creates a gross annual sales of $104.11 billion. And that is gross. They're both stealing a natural resource and profiting off of people's poverty and necessity of water, knowing there's nothing special about what they're providing, but making claims about how they use recycled materials, when in fact, they are contributing to the problem more and more. And that, folks, is where I'll leave you for this week. Next week, we'll continue talking about Nestle, the bottled water industry, plastics, and climate change. Thanks for joining me on Just an Avocado White Woman, and don't forget to hydrate.